What makes the good life the good life? This podcast is on a mission to find out. Join us for the second season of exploring the best voices and stories the Heartland has to offer. Venture to all four corners of York County, because when it comes to quality of life, it's all about keeping it local. Brought to you by the York County Development Corporation, this is 17 County, Season 2. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the 17 County Podcast. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe and review our podcast. Uh, this helps us grow and learn from our listeners better. So thank you for your support. Um, we appreciate that. Uh, our guest today is the current superintendent for Heartland Community Schools. Uh, he grew up in the Geneva area before leaving uh, to pursue his uh, educational and his professional gr- career. Um, that journey started out in the greater Omaha area. Uh, before making his way uh, back west to eventually landing here in York County. We are thankful for his time so far here in York County, um, the short seven years it's been, um, but we are very excited for the future to come uh, and all the many years to come down the line. Um, We're even more excited that he is uh, from within the area, um, so it's great to have him make his way back. So, uh, Brad, I'd like to uh, welcome you onto the show. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll jump right in. Um, kind of what was uh, life growing up like, um, you know, down there in Geneva for you? Um, what was school like for you at Geneva High? Um, just talk to me a little bit about that. A good place to grow up. Uh, Geneva's a, a very, I would consider a very nice sized community and had uh, all the amenities, but yeah, it was small enough to you knew most everybody in town and, and the teachers at school class sizes and things like that were were about as good as I can imagine, I guess, uh, growing up. A lot of activities, of course, summer baseball and spent about every day at the pool, you know, get hop on the Stingray bicycle and ride to the pool every day. And, and Did you do all sports or were you mainly just baseball? I, I did participate in uh, football, basketball, golf uh, in the spring and then summer baseball through high school. But People kind of watched out for each other, so uh, it was good. Good sized community. No, yeah, Geneva, Geneva was great. Um, you know, I, didn't, I grew up here in York. Um, I didn't get down to Geneva too. I had a couple friends who um, grew up here in York, and then their family moved down to Geneva. So I made it down there a couple times to go to different like events at the park or Legion ball games down there. Uh, yeah, it's a great community. I always, you know, enjoyed. Um, you know, the time that I was in there and everything like that. So yeah, it certainly um, is. And then, you know, um, I worked in a store front for every now and again down there in Geneva. And so it was your downtown areas, you know, fantastic uh, down there in Geneva. And so that, that was really neat to always see. So how was your, um, you know, your father, um, you know, was uh, the director for the girls training school down there. It's now kind of known as the youth rehab treatment center. Um, you know, how did his career path kind of have influence on on your decision? Yeah, so that was the only uh, job that I remember my father having. Uh, he started there in the late 50s and worked through the decades of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, retired in early 80s. So over 32 years, I think he was there uh, as the director. Um, prior to that, he was a, a principal and um, history teacher, both in Chapman before he came to Geneva and then all the way up into um, Verdigree area, I think is where he got his start. But 
um, it was a, a blessing I, to have grown up in that environment. Uh, growing up out there, they were, they were troubled kids, but the, uh, we were out there every 4th of July. We went out to play softball with them in the summertime. We picnicked. We, um, I shot baskets, and, and, and we hung out um, with dad at work and things. Uh, not often, but enough to be exposed to that environment. And it was a very good learning experience for us to see, um, you know, I, being very fortunate, raised in a very loving, very uh, caring home, uh, hardworking home, and then to be uh, around those kids that didn't have that uh, and growing up and were in trouble and needed some redirection. And so, I learned a lot from that and dad had his own unique way of exposing each of us, uh, his kids to that life and uh, what you needed to do to show compassion for everyone, including those kids and to uh, work hard at, at trying to make things better for other people. So uh, it was a great, a great experience all the way from, you know, I can like say, remember as a little one running around at 4th of July and playing softball to more when I was uh, in high school. And I can't tell you the number of Thanksgivings uh, or Christmas Eves that uh, we actually spent at home uh, because a lot of times those kids that um, at the home, at the, at the facility would get homesick and want to run. And so we spent many, many evenings, especially the holidays out driving country roads, looking for runaways and going through old barns and cornfields and everything else. But, but it really um, taught me a lot of patience, a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of respect for other people, regardless of their background. So No doubt. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, that would play a role. Yeah. As you've, uh, you know, expanded through your um, gone through your career and everything. So yeah, that would be great education to have. So, you know, you mentioned a little bit how that kind of prepared you. How did, how did the school of Geneva kind of prepare you for your next steps going on to, um, you know, your college of choice? Yeah. So it was, it was pretty traditional. Um, when I went through elementary, um, and middle school, junior high, I guess we called it back then, uh, we were actually in the big old building downtown, uh, Geneva, that's no longer there. They had torn that down, but um, I was, uh, my freshman year was the first year in the new building, the one they're currently using is Fillmore Central. Um, so that was kind of a neat transition to go through that. Um, some of the things that um, had influences, I guess, would be those teachers that um, really had a good relationship with the kids. Um, it was one of those situations where if something happened at school, you wanted to make sure you got home and told mom and dad before they did, because uh, they would be double waiting for you if you got home. Uh, but uh, they had those relationships with the parents to where it was not a problem to pick up the phone and talk to mom and dad. So uh, that was probably good. Uh, you know, that was a good for us, but um, and little things like, you know, we practiced, I don't know if you're familiar with G Geneva area, but uh, the school was in downtown, but the football field and track was out by the elementary school, clear on the east side of town. So every day we would gear up for junior high football, and then we would have to jog 
those <laughs> eight blocks or whatever, nine blocks. Your warm up, yeah. To get to practice, and then after practice, we'd have to hustle back so that the kids could meet the bus and, and things like that. So I couldn't imagine eight blocks after practice. Yeah, that would not be. <laughs> There's some good experiences that way, too. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. So how did you make the decision to decide upon Dana College? Um, was there, is that, you know, a family decision or um, did you just take a visit there and fall in love or how did you decide upon Dana? Yeah, so I had looked at quite a few different colleges. Um, I liked Dana in the sense that it was a smaller school. It was more um, personal, I guess, that's what I was used to. Mm-hmm. They also had a very strong uh, science department, which I was interested in pursuing a science degree of some type, I knew, um, and then gave me an opportunity to participate in baseball and played some college baseball for Dana for four years. So that was a draw for me as well. Very uh, tight, very, uh, the professors all knew you and you knew them on a personal level. And, and uh uh, it was just a, a really neat experience. Uh, sorry to see it gone now, but um, what are your thoughts on that? Did you were you kind of? I mean, did you see it coming? Were you kind of? I I don't I guess I don't recall much of when it shut down, but um, I guess how did that kind of hit you? I don't know all the details behind their closing, other than it was primarily financial and uh, accreditation based. So once the colleges changed the way they were accrediting schools and, and made them eligible for specific grants and federal funding and things like that, they just didn't feel like they could make ends meet, not being eligible for some of that. So they decided to close the door and um, I was disappointed. I, I don't know if I was upset or saddened by it necessarily as an economical thing. Um, uh, they definitely served a purpose. It was a beautiful campus. And, and they did a lot of, of good work there, but you know, you move on. And, and that was a long time after I had been there. So um, I didn't have a lot of connections back at, at Dana, but uh, I enjoyed my time there. You know, you're obviously probably, you ended up with an education degree, um, but you said you were pursuing maybe science at one point. And so um, what were you kind of thinking there? And then how did you end up ultimately deciding upon education? Yeah, so this is one of the things I always tell our graduates now is that you don't have to decide and stick, you know, to that. So I was actually studying um, for the medical entrance exam on the MCAT um, up through my junior year as pre-med and kind of thought I wanted to be a surgeon uh, coming out. And then um, I guess I was influenced by some of the uh, people that I knew on campus, and, and I'd always had a desire to teach others uh, about things, uh, and my passion, of course, was science. So uh, they came out with about my junior year in college, I would say. Uh, prior to that, you had to have a double major in um, two areas for teaching degree. Uh, they came out with a degree which was called a natural sciences degree. And so if I would take three additional classes, I could uh, be certified to teach any science subject. Didn't matter if I was biology, 
major chemistry major, you could teach biology chemistry, but with this natural science degree, I could teach anything. So I decided to go that route and thought, you know, I could always go back to med school. Um, and then of course here I am 37 years later, I've not gone back to med school yet, but, <laughs> but uh, I haven't regretted it. it was, it's been a good ride. So When you said the, you tell your students about, you know, don't have to, you don't have to decide right away. I, you know, I have this vision of, I was standing in a hallway with Mr. Bartholomew, um, talking to him about how I was going to be a business major and I didn't need foreign language. So I was dropping this foreign language class uh, because that business major didn't require that. Well, lo and behold, I ended up going to college, changing my major from business, ended up needing a language requirement, which required me to take the language in college instead of me taking it in high school. And so those lessons, yeah, can definitely pop up and get you for sure. And so your, your first um, position was at uh, Bellevue. Um, so just talk to me a little bit. Um, did you have any other options to go anywhere else? Uh, was that like a school that you worked with through your training? Is that, you know, how you kind of became familiar with that? Um, you know, so how did you like land upon Bellevue? There were, uh, and still are, uh, actually a lot of science openings, um, science teachers. Uh, I would, I would say that if there are, um, parents or students out there and their son or daughter wants to go into education, science would be an area if they have an aptitude for that because we've always been short of science people. Um, and so I had applied to multiple places. Bellevue uh, called right away and set up interviews and went down. I liked the, I liked the facility, liked the people. Um, I like the uh, heads of the departments there, you know, a lot different than, than uh, other places I've worked. You know, we had 8,000 plus students in the district and um, they hired, I think, seven of us as science teachers that year. So that was just science teachers. Uh, so we had a good cadre of, of rookies, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Coming in, so that was kind of nice, actually. I I looked forward to that because I thought, well, this is an opportunity to to pair up or you know to get to know some other people that are going through the same trials that I would be, and and trying to find those mentors on staff. And so I was able to do that. Very fortunate to have a a great mentor um, as a science teacher and and uh, coach some football at. At Bellevue East and enjoyed that immensely. Um, Class A football is is exciting uh, to coach and to watch, especially from the sideline. And uh, so, yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. But um, it was it was a great place to get my feet wet and to grow professionally. And um, primarily spent my time at, at one of the middle schools and then up at Bellevue East. Uh, and then they opened Bellevue West actually about the time shortly after I arrived. And, and so a few of us got split up, you know, our cadre. And so we didn't see as much as each other as we did before, but it was a good place to start. Enjoyed it a lot. What was one of the biggest, um, I guess maybe one of the most important lessons you've maybe learned while you were at uh, Bellevue? Was there anything that maybe stood out? Um, from your time there that um, was, you know, kind of a, a moment of, you know, this is how I should do things, you know, further on down the road? Yeah. So 
probably the biggest lesson in those first few years was you've got to develop relationships with your kids on a professional level and you have to get put the time in if you if you fly or try to fly by the seat of your pants you're going to drown um and i think that one of the biggest fears of people standing up in front of groups or or maybe oh there's no way i could teach you know those kinds of uh, people that are not wired for that um it, the biggest fear is because they feel like they are not prepared or they'll say something stupid or they'll be judged or uh, and so you really had to put the time in to make sure that you uh, got over that hump and um, that the kids could be confident in you, um, that you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> so um, that was probably the, the biggest lessons, whether it was teaching or coaching or otherwise, is that uh, build those relationships and, and work hard, uh, put the time in because it's going to take a lot of time. Um, so... After Bellevue, uh, you had a couple of different landing stops. So talk to me a little bit about your path, um, ultimately landing there at Heartland. I know you had three different stops there along the way. So um, yeah. maybe just touch on a little bit about each of those um, different stops. Yeah. Some people would say I can't sit still very long, I guess. But, <laughs> um, each of those was a professional advancement. I'll point that out. So, um, so that was my first thing I noticed too. Was like, okay, prince, assistant principal, principal. Okay, yeah, he wants to just move up the ladder. Yeah. So uh, I earned my first master's degree um, in the first seven. Well, actually, the first five years of teaching. Went right back to school again and got my master's. So that was my uh, administration degree and I didn't know if I would ever use it or not but um, a position came open in Elkhorn as an assistant principal there and so I jumped on that and uh, tried to get my feet wet in administration and that was a you know that was like as they say drinking out of a fire hose that was just um, incredible uh, busy stressful <laughs> Um, you know, we go from 8,000 kids to a lot fewer, but I was responsible then primarily for discipline of, of the entire building. So we had 500, 600 kids, something like that in that building. And, um, in Elkhorn. Yeah. At the building where I was in Elkhorn and it was busy. It was, I think I averaged somewhere between seven and eight office referrals a day that I had to deal with. And so by the end of the day, I was shot. Um, also trying to be the, uh, you know, the activities director for that building and evaluating teachers and technology coordinator. And so- You had to wear a lot of hats, it yeah, sounds like, it was, for sure. It's uh, a, a tiresome two years that I spent. <laughs> and then from that, I moved from an assistant principal to a full principalship in Creighton, Nebraska as the high school principal there. And they were at the time a large C2 school. Um, so quite a few kids, but it gave me an opportunity to be the, the lead administrator, I guess, in a building and spent 13 years there um, working with high school kids and staff and in a town not much different size-wise than, than Henderson, actually. Um, and then from there moved to... Well Quick question. What was the, the change like for you then going from having 500 kids in your building to having 500 kids maybe maybe in your district? 
Yeah. So yeah, that was a shift. But you know, the having grown up in Geneva helped that a lot. Um, and it, looking back on it now, it was a great experience because to have those different levels, you know, going from class A school and going to a class B, then to a C uh, up in Creighton, um, had that correlation because of, of the, um, or that connection because of my growing up in Geneva. So I uh, felt very comfortable in that. And then after that, came back to Seward, um, which is class B school and uh, was more a curriculum director and, and professional development training teachers and things like that. And did that for seven years over there. Um, and then decided that's when I got my second master's degree, I guess was when I was at Seward. And then um, the opening came up over here at Heartland. And I thought, you know, I'm going to haven't done that yet and would kind of like to, to experience that and give it a shot. So I threw my name in and was fortunate enough to be selected as superintendent over here. So before we get too far into your Heartland, uh, what, um, maybe explain a little bit, what is a director of curriculum? I think some people have maybe heard that position and maybe can guess that, okay, you put curriculum together, but it's probably more than that. <laughs> yeah. So regardless of what course is taught, uh, there needed to be guidelines uh, as to what the specific topics would be, what grade level, um, the length of the course, how it aligned with state standards, what materials you would use, which teachers would be able to teach that based on their endorsements. And so as an example, if we wanted to um, revamp, say, the mathematics curriculum in Seward, we were doing that for um, K-12. And so it would be a matter of trying to align all of those grade levels with a math curriculum so that kids would have a seamless transition, not just in the elementary school, but when they jumped over to the middle school or from the middle school to the high school. And so making sure that all of the teaching was aligned. Just making sure that continuity exists all the way through the whole, yeah. each program. Yeah. And we always looked at research-based materials. So we wanted to make sure that, that it was proven um, that it works as long as you do it with fidelity. And so uh, I met with teachers a lot and had a lot of meetings with them and talked a lot about which direction to go and scoured through materials. And, uh, and back in those days, um, assessment was a big piece of that as, as it is now, obviously. But back in those days, uh, kids weren't sitting on a computer taking the tests. We were actually developing the tests ourselves in-house in yeah. in-house yeah and we had to run all the stats on that and make sure that they were valid and and uh, they didn't have any bias built into them and we were running standard deviation on every question and and uh, I at one point was submitting oh spreadsheets for every subject uh, probably um, 30 columns wide and and somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand lines. And there were about 40 of those spreadsheets a year that had to be submitted to the state department. So I consumed a lot of time. Yeah. I was going to say, you probably don't, sounds like you don't miss that. I don't miss that. <laughs> that was a big motivator to become a superintendent, you know, <laughs> get Del out from underneath. <laughs> Delegation 101 there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> 
so arriving at Heartland, what were those first years like? So this was your first superintendent role. This was the first time you were the buck stops here um, for the district. So what, what was that like? Well, like any new position, there's a learning curve. Um, I, I had decided years ago, and by the time I got to Heartland, um, you know, I, I had 30 years under my belt and over 20 years of administrative experience. So a lot of the, the basics were pretty, had become fairly natural for me. I didn't have to think about a lot. Um, obviously there were a lot of things that I had to learn that were new, whether mm -hmm. that's your personnel issues, contracts, you know, some of the legal stuff was a lot more important than it had been in prior positions, but I was really fortunate to have stepped up through those roles and, and picked up a lot. Um, it still comes back to some of the basics. And, and years ago, I discovered this um, as a principal and I would come to work just exhausted. I would come to work exhausted. And it finally dawned on me one day that one of the biggest reasons I was so tired all the time was that I was focusing on the three to five percent of the kids instead of the 97 percent of the kids that were doing things correctly and mm -hmm. and knocking it out of the park every day. My days were being consumed by that few. And so I had to really shift my philosophy and um, not put those kids aside because that goes clear back to my childhood, right? <laughs> Dealing with the underdogs and yep. working with the underdogs and building trust and all those kind of things. So they still have a soft spot in my heart. I'm still a fan of the underdog and, I, and I'll work my tail off for those kids and those families. But um, keeping every decision focused around what's best for kids makes it a lot easier. And that's why we're in the business. And so when I get that, you know, the buck stops here, hey, nobody can make this decision but you. What are you going to do? And they're not always easy. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of times somebody in that equation is not going to be happy. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to deal with that. But if you keep the focus on what you feel is best for kids and lean on all that experience, um, you can get through what I what I tell uh, administrators now and working with them is you get got to have that pillow test and if it passes the pillow test you know you're in good footing and basically that what that is is if you put your head on your pillow at night and fall asleep then you you were made the right decision but mm -hmm. if you awake and stew about it you probably need to go back and rethink it so um, a lot of new things to learn but um, I think that 20 plus years as an administrator prior uh, made a huge difference for me rather than stepping in as totally green. Right. Yeah, I think obviously, yeah, a lot of that time probably at Seward was probably very beneficial to what, you know, maybe, I don't know, but it seems like what you, a lot of what you've learned um, through Seward maybe, you know, help, and obviously at the other stops too, but um, mm -hmm it seems like maybe Seward was maybe a huge kind of, um, kind of help to that. Yeah, it, it was when you were, you know, been a teacher, been a coach, 
um, been an assistant principal, was a principal myself, was kind of an assistant superintendent type of mm -hmm. role in Seward. And so I, when I look at things here at Heartland as the superintendent, I can draw on all of those experiences. And, you know, as a coach, what would I have expected? Or as a teacher, what, I, what would I wanted my superintendent to do in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of, yeah, you can take those experiences and say how, you know, if I was a teacher and this happened to me, how would I react or how, you know, what would I do yeah. or what would I want? Like you were thinking, saying there earlier. So yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's great. Yeah. So those obviously, yeah, those first couple of years were probably um, a little different, just getting used to the community and getting used to everything, um, all the different um, other administrators, all the different faculty and everyone. Um, so, you know, what's the last few years kind of been like, you know, those first few years, it seems like you were just getting used to the community and everything. So what's kind of these last few years been like? Yeah, so you're right. The first few were, uh, again, learning curve, right? So this is a, it's not like I only had one other job prior to this. So I, kind of, I actually kind of thrive on that a little bit and getting to meet new people and learning new uh, ways of doing things. So um, that was that was pretty seamless. It, it was a bit daunting, I have to say, because um, my predecessor, uh, Dr. Yoder, um, had been here for 27 years prior to my arrival, and the superintendent before him, Alan Friesen, uh, had been here for 36 years. So between those two guys, they'd been here 63 years. So when I interviewed, I I told the board, given that information, I can. I'm good for a couple, I would hope that <laughs> they got to get at least a decade out of you. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that was pretty daunting. Um, the last few years I've really enjoyed uh, to where uh, it doesn't seem like you have a whole lot more time because the state department and the feds and everybody else seem to come up with ways of uh, parlaying your time in other fashions, but um, it is, when, when the everyday kinds of things become more established, uh, become more natural, then you find time to do those extras, uh, to reach, reach out a little bit further. Or uh, we've been able to do a lot of that in the last few years and um, trying to get to know more people in Henderson and Bradshaw and uh, uh, the kids, the kids, you know, I heard a, a lot of stories about the consolidation and, and how difficult it was uh, at times in that discussion. But, you know, I'm a firm believer in that adults worry about that stuff way more than kids do. And, oh, yeah. And our, our kids have done a tremendous job and they would go to battle for each other any day of the week. So, um, it's it's a great great situation and it's enabled me to to stretch myself as well and and obviously as much as i've hopped around i need that challenge so uh, <laughs> is so you talked you mentioned a little bit about um you know as you've gotten comfortable you maybe go can approach some other different changes that maybe you want to make are there any is there anything that you're thinking right now or is there anything that you have done recently any uh, proposed policy changes or um, any other changes that maybe you've wanted to do or maybe thinking about? Uh, when, when I was hired on, um, one of the things was to 
uh, try to bring some things up to speed with technology because that was a real hot topic at the time uh, to get that program up and rolling to um, make some upgrades around the building um, to start exploring some of the new curricular areas that were on the horizon at that time, such as career education and things like that. So um, those are kind of the tasks in front of me um, when I was hired. And we are a one-to-one -one school now where every 7th through 12th grader has a laptop that we uh, have them check out and use every day. And our elementary school, we have an iPad for every two students. So those are on a cart that any teacher can wheel in and use in their classrooms and upgraded the network and things of that nature. And then a lot of updates around the building, fresh paint and furniture and, and whatnot. But so facility upgrades have been a, a big part of it. A couple of the projects, I guess, that are unique to us and, and somewhat unique across the state as well as we revamped a courtyard area that um, when they built onto this building kind of surrounded this this area to allow extra sunlight to come into the classrooms they wouldn't needed exterior walls well they built it in a square so you had this courtyard and um, it was overgrown and and didn't really have a purpose other than collect rainwater I think uh, so <laughs> Um, we revamped that and with the support of the board and, and many teachers um, kind of developed an outdoor education area and so we have different plant species and, and they grow uh, vegetables and herbs and things like that for uh, the foods class to use in there and the ag department has a plot that they can plant different varieties of corn or, or produce. Um, we have a little waterfall area where uh, we can do pond studies and uh, water samples and things like that as well. So that's been a neat addition. And then also using federal grant money, we've uh, upgraded in our industrial technology area out in the ag and, and uh, back in the day called Woodshop, but now industrial <laughs> technology, right? Career tech, career technical education. Um, so we have a computer driven plasma cutter to do metal signage and then a computer driven laser engraver and cutter and then also a computer driven uh, mill to uh, engrave. And so the last couple of years we've kind of started a school based business with no other purpose than to learn. And so we, we make little or nothing on any of our stuff and cover our costs and that's about it. But um, it's uh, HCS Customs, it's called, and we're online, and the kids then take orders for everything from awards to gifts, and, and we try to, uh, to uh, push those things out with a high level of quality and give kids a good experience that way. Yeah. Um, we've, YCDC has actually purchased um, some engravings from y'all, and so I wish I had one right here so I could... But yeah, no, those, those turned out phenomenal. Yeah, it was, we, we loved what we, what we received. And so it was, it's great that we could able to support some kids, you know, learning, you know, that those different processes and everything like that. Yeah. New challenges. Yeah. That's what we need for, yeah. All these different students, you know, what, what, what can we challenge them with next? So you talked a little bit about uh, Dr. Yoder. Um, did you have any pressure I'm uh, feeling like you needed to fill like his shoes in any way, or um, I guess what, what were your expectations with that? 
Well, like I said, it's, it was rather daunting. You know, I, I was a rookie coming in, didn't know a whole lot about what it was like to be a superintendent. And then you follow guys that come on for 63 years. Uh, there's a little pressure there, you know. Um, and uh, Dr. Yoder did a great job uh, for a long time here. And the district was in great financial, um, situ financial position. So I didn't really have to worry about that, uh, which was huge, uh, not having to fight that battle. And mm -hmm. so um, a lot of good programs, a lot of uh, good staff members, and, you know, that's really where it's at anyway. So, um, you know, Leadership 101 is hire great people and get the heck out of the way. And yep. they, uh, they are awesome here. So uh, Dr. Yoder set that standard and and was very um gracious and answering a bunch of questions that i had in the first few months and it just so happens he lives right across the street from me so we still chat once in a while <laughs> yeah that is convenient yeah so life there in henderson and your family and everything so touch um let's talk a little bit yeah more about you then and uh your family and everything so yeah so wife diana um we are a both of us are remarried, and so uh, we have a blended family that way, uh, hers and, uh, and mine, so to speak, but she's a uh, dental assistant, and so um, she's kind of backed off of that a little bit in the last few years, but um, she really enjoyed that and helping people that way. And then together we have six, six kids, and uh, the oldest, uh, Matthew, is a doctor in McCook, and uh, our next oldest is Erin. Uh, She's a, a registered nurse at Bryan LGH. Um, next in line is uh, another girl, Rebecca. She's a phlebotomist and works for the medical center and is in grad school there to continue her education. And then um, Grant uh, works as a paraprofessional up in South Dakota, and Levi is uh, got a construction management degree from Wayne State. Worked as uh, you know these big timber barns that you see built on television all the time. Uh, yeah, uh, in Wayne there, there's that timber company. Yeah, right. So he works for them and building barns uh, there. But now is this fall going to be the industrial technology teacher at Ravenna High School? Awesome. So, yeah, so he's taking that route and going to help coach football and stuff over there. And then our uh, youngest, Natalie, is uh, a paraprofessional in Norfolk, Nebraska. So uh, three in medical field and three in education. And I guess we're that science education thing, right? Yeah, kind of yeah. the place. <laughs> and then uh, with all of them combined, we have six grandkids and five. Well, they're all under uh, six years old. So you're busy busy with that or yeah yeah when they, when they come to visit yeah it's been hard with this uh, pandemic you know we can't we do the facetime thing but it's not that's not the same no, yeah great that they've been all managed to you know at least stay within the state so that way you know they're not too far away you know that way you can you know have maintain those relationships and start those relationships with the grandkids and everything like that so that that you are blessed to yeah be able to have um you know that 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 scenario. Um, so what's, what's life in Henderson, uh, kind of there been like, um, 
you know, you, you've lived in some different communities, uh, both large and small. And so, you know, how, how, what kind of makes them similar and what makes them each kind of unique? Um, well, the first almost 10 years were spent in the Omaha area and that having been a small town boy growing up, um, and Dana college and small town of Blair, you know, the campus was even smaller yet. So, um, that was a shift. Uh, but I enjoyed it. Uh, it was very, a lot of conveniences and, and, um, it was a, a great learning environment for me. Um, I still like the smaller town community, uh, from the, uh, from the angle that, um, you can build stronger relationships. People look out for each other and, um, you can to lean on some folks and, and, and ask for their help and, and vice versa. You're able to, to give back to the community in a lot bigger ways, I think in a smaller community as well. So we've really enjoyed that part of it. Similarities, you know, everybody's, uh, it seems like everybody's working, everybody's got not enough time and uh, everybody's focused on their kids and that's all good stuff. And, uh, the differences come in, I think, when you have more time or more opportunity to get to know folks. And so uh, that's definitely different than it would have been in the Omaha area. I knew my neighbors. We knew a few other people we worked with. And beyond that, I could go to the grocery store in Bellevue as a teacher and not see anybody I knew. Mm. Uh, you know, and I, I have two or three conversations every time I go to the grocery store now. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, that's okay. I like that. I like that part of it. So special about this area and in, in, in um, Henderson, Bradshaw and, and York County in general, I think it's just the, the focus on still, I think in this area and I'll be honest and I'm not just um, saying this, I've told people this for years now that, of all those stops, this has been the most special for me in that um, the families, the people that surround you, the, the businesses, everybody is just that little bit more focused on family and doing what's right and working hard and respecting one another. And it's, uh, it's been really, really, really good as far as the support that we have gained uh, as a school district here. Um, and, and I just enjoy that camaraderie, if you will, and being able to pick up the phone, you know, back, like I mentioned before, when I was on the other side of that, uh, yeah. <laughs> where I got home um, because I knew the teacher would call and have a conversation. Um, we can do that in small town Nebraska and still the majority of time at least get really great support for the parents and, and it makes such a huge difference in trying to, to grow kids and uh, if you're all on the same page so um, that I will never take for granted of uh, small town USA is that that camaraderie and all rowing at the same direction that was definitely one of the things I didn't realize growing up here. Um, you know, I grew up here. I took my first job in Indianapolis. So I was in Indianapolis and then um, I had projects with that uh, company where I was up in Maine and then I was in Chicago 
And so I was in these larger community. I mean, Maine was great because it was a small community. I really thrived there. I really enjoyed that community. But Indianapolis and Chicago, I mean, you just don't have that. Yeah, like where you could walk in and see someone you know and be able to have a conversation. Everybody's so focused. Um, even if you were to strike up a conversation with a stranger, it would be odd for them to um, be involved in that conversation. And so, yeah, I definitely took that for granted, you know, when I moved away and not everyone was as friendly as uh, my hometown area was. And so that was definitely something that I noticed as well. Our personal bubbles are a lot bigger in the rural, rural Nebraska. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You live in the urban areas like you did is like in Indianapolis, you're kind of, your bubble's pretty tight around you. Um, yeah. If you're within two or three feet of me, you're way too close. <laughs> I, I'm not going to make eye contact, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm going to avoid it at all possibility. I'm going to put in headphones and not listen to music. <laughs> oh, that's sad too, isn't it? We're losing that. That's too bad. Uh, it is unfortunate. Yep. Um, so you probably have some other things that uh, consume your time besides just work and family. So are there, what are some other hobbies that you have there that you enjoy um, in, in Henderson? Uh, when I do have time, I love tinkering outside. Anything, anything that gets me outside. So I love being outdoors, uh, woodworking, working in the yard. Um, we uh, ridden a Goldwing for quite a few years. Um, camping, we like to get away and unplug, so to speak, for a few days at a time and and just relax. It's a really uh, you know, some people said, oh, you wouldn't ever catch me camping. Well, um, we, I don't know if you call it camping, you know, when you have a, a nice trailer that you can pull around, it's, it's not too rough <laughs> to uh, camp. But the thing that we love most about it is that uh, you can think about all the things that you should be doing or could be doing if you were home, but you're not. So yeah, you're not doing them. Yeah. <laughs> You're not home, so you can't do it. So there's no reason for worrying about it. So it, it helps us to unwind a lot and relax. And definitely. Away. Um, and then finally here, um, I just kind of want to touch on kind of Heartland's um, response with the COVID, COVID-19. And then, you know, what's, uh, we'll, we'll start, I guess, yeah, with just the, the response and how you guys kind of responded. And then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, so it's, as you've seen, uh, every school is doing something different. Mm -hmm. and and that's all great every community is different and however you do it is okay uh, that's I honestly believe that when we had our initial conversations we knew that this was going to get uh, pretty serious and we decided to focus on the way I described it to our staff was think about all of those things you've always wanted to do with kids in the classroom but you've never had the time to do it because you always had to prepare them for state standards. You always had to prepare them for the next test. What are some things you'd really love to have been able to do with them, whether in virtual field trips or project-based stuff or uh, letting them explore different avenues of your subject area? And so that's where we tried to keep the focus for this entire time was on enrichment activities. And so we uh, work hard in engaging kids often and try to get communication going there and touch base. Uh, but as far as you have to log in at 9 a.m. every every morning for English class, we, we don't do that at all. Uh, we have scheduled um, 
Zoom video times with the teachers during the week. And the teachers lay out things that they would suggest kids to do. And then they get back together and talk about them. But there are very important things right now to worry about. And um, so we talked a lot about taking care of our own families and teachers taking care of their own kids, let alone trying to teach everybody else at the same time because they're home. And that's a new challenge for them. They can't, you know, their kids aren't in school either. So they had that piece of it. Uh, moms and dads are at home and, and there have been some hilarious stuff on social media. <laughs> you know, parents posting things about the yeah. school deal. Um, it's really, really humorous, really creative people out there. But um, we've tried to focus on taking care of ourselves and each other and staying healthy and, and learning some things along the way. But we, uh, we chose to try to reduce the anxiety level of everybody involved and not put that extra layer of requirement on top of, of this. So we feel it's worked out really well. Uh, we're going to get everybody caught up again. I'm not worried about that at all. Um, you know, I, I always talk about our staff and you always want to hire the superstars and then, um, you know, to use an old adage, I'd, I'd much rather have to pull the reins than to have to go to the whip, you know, like on a thoroughbred horse. Uh, and that's, I'm, yeah, it's, it's not a problem with our staff. So um, I'm not worried at all. We, kids are great. Parents are great. Staff is strong. And they do awesome work. And so we'll get, we'll get people caught up. We'll get through this and, and hopefully everybody comes out of it unscathed and and uh, we'll, we'll focus. How how were state standards affected? Are you, were they just skipped this year, or um, how 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 did they handle that? Yeah. So just uh, earlier this week, I believe uh, the governor um, issued an executive order that set aside the state's testing for this year. So yeah, it's they kind of realized too, even at that level, that they're not only would it be about impossible to do <laughs> because the, <laughs> um, you know, this is another thing that we considered was the, the accessibility piece and whether or not that was going to be equitable. You know, I'm home and I've got to take care of my three little brothers and sisters um, and do laundry while mom and dad are still trying to earn a living and I got to do schoolwork and now you got to take state tests. Yeah, it's not going to happen. So it's too much responsibility for yeah, someone sixteen. Exactly. So I think the state realized that as well, and they decided to um, back off on that for the year, and we'll worry about bigger things right now, and we'll come back to that next school year. So Heartland moving forward is going to be kind of hard to determine. I'm I'm sure there's going to be a lot. I mean, in the next even. I mean, every week it's probably going to change on what, what we're going to be allowed to do. So the future, I mean, it's kind of, it, I'm sure you're preparing for what school may not look like if you can't get together in the fall, but that's kind of hard to determine at this point. It really is. And, and the people way smarter than I am don't know yet. So um, we just wait for some guidance. The, the positive sign has been, from our perspective has been where it used to be uh, changes and new things coming out daily. Now it's weekly. So we're, 
not getting bombarded quite as hard with new new things, uh, new regulations or whatever it may be. So that's been a plus, but yeah, moving forward, um, all kinds of speculation. I don't think it's a bad thing, obviously, to plan for what it may look like in the fall. Um, I'm really confident that if we are able to maintain our patience and continue social distancing and not get too stir crazy and do stupid things and, and spread this virus more than, than we've been able to control it already, uh, I think there's a chance we'll be back in the fall, no problem. Uh, if we don't, then we're going to have to go to plan B. So, uh, you know, the running joke that I've had with a couple of parents that I've seen out walking past the house or whatever is, you know, keep practicing the social distancing because otherwise you're going to have your kids that much longer in the fall. So mm -hmm. that's a motivator, right? Send Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, everybody stay home so I can get you out sooner. Yeah. <laughs> no, there are a lot of families doing some really cool. Oh, yeah. They really enjoyed having their kids at home, but yeah, certainly. So I got, you got about five minutes here. I know it's two o'clock, but I got just some few questions here for rapid fire to end everything up. Okay. All right. So um, what's your go-to restaurant in York County? We don't eat out a lot there. We really, oh, okay. We That's not, yeah. Uh, but when we do, we we like to uh, stop in at Perks for lunch or or grab a pizza at Bulldog or um, Mexican food either in, in in York or maybe go down to McCool and and eat yeah. out there. So we frequent a number of places, um, but we we don't eat out a lot. So no, yeah, that yeah. Um, what's your favorite book that you have read? Or if you're an audible book person, what's like one you've listened to maybe recently? Most of the reading that I do is professional based. Uh, I don't really have a lot of time to read for pleasure. I probably should, but I don't. Um, probably the one re most recent that I've enjoyed was, is called uh, Nice Bike. And it's by a motivational speaker called, uh, by the name of Mark Scherenbrock. And... Uh, he just talks about making connections with people and, and how little things that you do during the day can make such a huge difference in that person's life, but it also can affect your life for the better as well. So is that just like noted, like complimenting someone's shoes or just doing those little trivial things to kind of just establish? It, it is, you know, he, the, the thing that he always refers to is, uh, you know, riding motorcycles and you go to a motorcycle rally, what's the best compliment that a biker could ever receive? somebody walks by and says, Hey, nice bike. Mm -hmm. And so he looks for nice bike moments. So, okay. Uh, you know, whether you're checking out at the grocery store or the gas station or things like that, and, and people say, how are you today to give them an honest answer and then ask how they are in a genuine way. And he said, it just can make such a huge difference than just saying, Oh, it's good. Or it's fine. When I play this back, I'm gonna have to look, I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to have to find that book. Um, give it, yeah. give it a re add to my list. What is your, is there like a, a must attend event that you have um, each year in York County um, that you circle on your calendar as something that you kind of look forward to uh, each year? Oh, we always enjoy um, the community celebrations. I would say, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Henderson or Bradshaw or York, um, uh, we enjoy those things, the picnics and the craft fairs and the, 
parades and, and whatnot. It's a good way to connect uh, with those folks as well. Um, our biggest one, of course, in Heartland is the smorgasbord every year, which we had to cancel, uh, but this year, but um, that's always fun uh, to see the kids perform and whatnot and hundreds of people that come through our building, but uh, that'd be probably more as much work related as it would be pleasure related, but. I'm gonna have to check out the smorgasbord thing. I had, I had not heard of that and now, now I'm upset. Now I gotta cut, wait for next year. Yeah, everybody needs to experience it. All right, and then the last two I have here, with it being right around draft time, um, I have a couple draft questions that I guess uh, people have been asking potential draft um, uh, draftees. So you've been given an elephant and all the supplies that you need to take care of it for the rest of its life. You can't give it away or sell it. What do you do with the elephant? It's not like a riddle. It's just what would, what would you do with an elephant? I would probably teach it to roll over. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Right. Entertainment. <laughs> that would be, yeah. No, uh, a dog rolling over or an elephant rolling over would be an interesting one. Um, and then the last one here is if you could describe yourself as any household appliance, what would that household appliance be? That, I have never heard that question before, Derek. Um, probably, would a stereo system be uh, considered? Let's go with it. Yeah. So I do enjoy music. I love listening to that. I think it's a good way to escape and so I always am looking for ways to uh, occupy my mind and and relax at the same time so I'll go with that awesome well thank you for taking the time today and and sitting down with me I, I appreciate you you taking the time out and I'd like to thank you know everyone for listening you know be sure to like subscribe and review the podcast um, it helps grow and you know gives us some feedback with our listeners and you know we appreciate your support and so once again um Brad, thank you for your time. I appreciate you uh, sitting down with me today. Absolutely. Be well. Thank you. You as well. This is 17 County, a new podcast brought to you by the York County Development Corporation in Nebraska. For more information about life and opportunity in the heartland, visit yorkdevco.com. Come grow with us. And if you liked this episode, be sure to rate and review 17 County on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.